0: Welcome back to The Francisca Show, where we encourage fellow artists and entrepreneurs to collaborate and support each other while sharing their stories. I'm Francisca, a singer, composer, music producer, and also your host. I'd like to thank our sponsor. Shopdrop is an iPhone app that lists every sample sale in New York. So if you want to buy designer clothes without breaking the bank, go to your iPhone and download the Shop Drop app today. Welcome back to the Francisca Show. On this week's episode, we will be having a comprehensive discussion on the topic of Koisha with two guests, sex therapist Tali Rosenbaum and Rabbi Scott Kahn, who are the co-hosts of a wonderful podcast called Intimate Judaism. We will be using their model of discussing the Torah and Jewish sources along with getting the psychological perspective on the issues of Koisha how it affects women, and how halacha might be affected by that. So welcome to the show. Thank
1: Thanks. you for having us. Thanks
0: for having us. This is so exciting for me. I want this to be the go-to conversation in the 21st century where anyone can get all the information really available out there or needed to get the right perspective on what this is about and where this comes from and how it affects people. And I guess let's start with Rabbi Scott giving us the overall background of the sources and what's allowed, what of Kalisha is entailed for women and for men.
1: Okay, Francesca, again, thank you for having us on the show. We're both excited to be here. I'll give a basic overview. It would be nice to be able to present everything in a nice, neat package, but there's so many different opinions based on relatively few sources in the Gemara. I'm not sure it's easy to do it in such a way, but I'll give my best to give an overview of how to understand Colisha. So the basic, most commonly cited source when it comes to kol isha, is a Gemara brachot, masechet brachot, daf, kaf, Dalid amud, Aleph. There is a list of, of different types of, I'm not, even, I'm not going to call them behaviors, different things that are considered erva, or licentiousness according to the Gemara. And one of those things on the list is kol bisha erva, the voice of a woman is considered nakedness. And how that's understood, there are different opinions. Some say this is referring specifically to... A man listening to a woman, whatever kol is, whether it means singing or just talking, while he's saying shma, while he's davening, while he's saying brachot or learning. That's one understanding. However, there's also a Gemara in Masechet Kiddushindaf Ayin Amud Aleph, which discusses the concept of just talking to a woman. Given these two Gemaras together, it seems that most postgame and most Rishonim over the years have understood it to refer to some sort of provocative singing or provocative talk, because obviously there's nothing wrong with talking to a woman. There's no way the Gemara in kedushin which says... Talking is somehow us, or in a certain case. There's no way it can mean all talking. So many Rishonim, among them the Rashba, understand this as meaning that a man should not listen to a woman's voice when it's being sung or perhaps being used in a provocative, sexually heightened manner. Those are the two basic sources from the Gemara. The Rambam deals with this in Hilchot Isari Bia Daf. In Parakaf Aleph, Halacha Bet, he then there says that a woman's voice is also Erva, using the same idea. This also was quoted in the Shulchan Aruch, in Emmett Ezer Siman Kaf Aleph, saying the same thing, that a voice of a woman is Erva. Based on that alone, without any sort of qualification, a person could easily understand that a man simply cannot hear a woman sing, certainly not when he's davening or saying kriyachma, but perhaps in any context whatsoever. And and according to the Rambam, it seems it's not talking about specifically during davening exclusively. It means any time a person listens to a woman's voice might potentially be a problem. However, despite the fact that many understand it just like this, and that's the, I don't want to say extreme, but perhaps the right-wing way of understanding kolisha, the way of looking at it as... It refers to any time a man listens to a woman's voice, there's an histoire on the man but others understand it in a much narrower way. Among them, as I said, is the Rashba. The Rashba seems to imply in his commentary in that Gemara Masachet Brachot, that it's specifically referring to some sort of provocative situation, not even singing per se, but provocative singing, the type of singing that would turn a person on, to put it bluntly. And given that, there are many other ways of understanding it that could be more... Um, I call it more lenient or more restrictive of that prohibition. One of the best articles which I saw in preparing for this podcast, Francisco, was an article by Rav Moshe Lichtenstein, who wrote in Tradition an article called Kolisha. It's actually available at traditionarchive.org. It's from 2013. And his article deals with it and goes through many of the ideas that come out from the various sources, including from the Rashba, And... I'll just quote a certain line that she says on page 14. He says, from here we conclude, this is after a long discussion, song which leads to feelings of intimacy between a man and a woman, or which emphasizes the singer's sensuality and femininity for the listener, or if it sexually stimulates him, is forbidden to be listened to. However, song which does not lead to feelings of intimacy or sexual thoughts is not forbidden. This lines up well with a well-known chuvah, perhaps the most famous ever written by the three Dei Eish, Rav Yaakov Weinberg Zatzal, who wrote that he was at first very surprised to hear that men and women, or more specifically, boys and girls, were singing Zmirot together in France and Germany. But after studying the issue, he realized that these youth groups where boys and girls were singing Zmirot together, there are various reasons why it should be allowed, such as two voices together are not really considered listenable. If we hear two things at the same time, it's not like listening to either one of them. Second of all, because it's Shirei Kodesh, it has sanctity, people aren't going to get turned on by it, obviously using the same idea of the Rashba. So there are numerous ways of looking at it, and I'm sorry that I can't be more comprehensive, but this is a basic overview. Those people who want to take a more restrictive view will look at the Gemara, they'll look at the Rishonim, and say, look, you can't listen to a woman sing, and that's the end of it, regardless of whether or not It's during Kriyat And those who want to take a more permissive view will say this refers specifically to singing, which is of the variety that can cause sexual thoughts that is sensual in nature. And with that, let me just conclude by reading the very end of Rav Lichtenstein's article, he obviously coming out on the more permissive side of things. He writes, we may summarize as follows. Under circumstances in which the song does not arouse sexual desire, does not emphasize femininity in a sensual manner, And the listener estimates that he will not come to have sexual thoughts. We should not forbid listening to a woman's voice, whether in speech or in song. And once again, this is a brief conclusion, but. There's a whole article behind it and a lot of literature about it as well. There's also a nice article by Rabbi J. David Bleich in his Contemporary Halachic Problems, Volume 2. He discusses the differences between listening to a woman live, on the radio, on a tape. And there are many different factors that come into into play for all of that as well. So that's a nice overview for you, I hope, and uh, gives at least a basic idea of the issues which we have to deal with.
0: Thank you. Could I just elaborate more on the recorded end of it? Because that's something I rely on heavily. My content is recorded, edited, mixed, and then I put it online and I label it Kalisha. And then it's up to men to decide. It's definitely there for women. I do not write for women only, relying on the fact that it's a man's choice. And also some men hold that recorded music is not considered a prohibition.
1: Can right. elaborate on that? Yeah, there are different opinions about this as well. I know that one of the most well-known vote in this particular area is Ravavadi Yosef. That's all. He said that if it's recorded, it is not prohibited, but with one condition, that you don't know what the person looks like. Because if you know what she looks like, he says specifically a disembodied voice only doesn't arouse... Sexual thoughts, if you don't know who she is, if you don't know what she looks like. Once a person knows what the singer looks like, then it's a problem. On the other hand, there are other game who are more permissive and lenient in this case, and they say any recorded voice is not Kolesha. Simply, Kolesha is referring to a live voice and not a recorded voice. A radio would be another step back because that's a live voice, but it's also electronic signals. So there are those people who will say that even a radio is permissible. I know that Titzel Eliezer deals with this. One of his ideas, to the best of my knowledge, is that he says in the same way that you can't listen to a recorded chauffeur or recorded reading of the Megillah, the flip side of that is that you are allowed to listen to a recorded woman's voice, because if it's not a real voice for Shofer or Megillah, it's not a real voice for kolisha. So there really are different opinions when it comes to this. Rabbi Vada Yosef in saying that you're allowed to listen to a recorded voice as long as you don't know what she looks like is more restrictive. There are some who are even more restrictive who say even recordings are not okay— I would guess that the majority of post in the modern Orthodox world, though I haven't taken a survey, would argue that any recorded voice, certainly if you don't know what she looks like, but perhaps even if you do, is not generally included under the rubric of Koalisha. And by the way, I want to make one more point, which I think is very important, referencing something you said, which is that ultimately— it does fall upon more the man than on the woman. In other words, it's not her prohibition to sing in front of the man. It's the prohibition of the man to listen to her voice. So that has to be kept in mind. If I, you know, I don't go to musicals, but in theory, my wife can go to a Broadway musical because she's allowed to listen to it. I'm the one who can't go. So uh, that that point has to be emphasized that when you write Colisha on it, even if it is Colisha, it's up to the man to decide whether or not he wants to listen to it. Your singing isn't necessarily the issue unless you want to get into the Iver issues of putting a stumbling block before the blind.
0: And if we did want to get into that issue, how could we make that a little more clear?
1: Well, what I would say is that given that my own understanding and my own personal practice is that it's permitted to listen to recorded music, then it's not a matter of of Leaf Naivir anymore, putting a stumbling block before someone who doesn't know the halacha, since there are many postgim who allow it. So therefore, the fact that you're making somebody listen to it, so to speak, in such a context that uh, only some postgim say it's not allowed, you're certainly allowed to rely on what may very well be the majority opinion. And once you put the word kolisha, the words kolisha on the cassette tape or on the CD or on whatever it is that's packaging it, you certainly have taken yourself out of that problem no matter who you ask, because it doesn't make a difference. No one possibly can say that you're putting a stumbling block by the fact that you already wrote this contains the voice of a woman. But even if you didn't, I wonder if it really would be a problem just given that so many postgames say that recorded voices are actually permissible.
0: Thank you so much, Rabbi Scott. This was really comprehensive, and I think it gives a lot of clarity and just takes away from the confusion of it. Well, at least I hope.
1: I hope so, too. And
0: I'd like to move on a little bit and just transition everyone into, yes, there has been the norm of women not singing singing in public spaces that are for men and women throughout Jewish history, except some people say, you know, 50 60 years ago, everyone was singing and there was no such thing as Colisha. So I hear both sides. However, I think maybe in
2: in the day of uh, Miriam and Devorah, there might not have been Colisha either, because they each had songs that they sang in front of everybody.
0: Yes, however, it does specify the women were separate for example, with Shiratayim, because they were dancing also, and they were separated from the men. Great point. At least that's the understanding I grew up with. But there has been a boom, if I may say, or some sort of huge transition that the internet has brought into the Jewish community, where lots of Jewish Orthodox women who would never in a million years put kolisha content online are suddenly doing that. There are also closed female exclusively spaces like the Colisha Facebook group where women can safely post their singing or dancing knowing that men will not have access to that. But in general, the female singers out there have been posting a lot of content out there available to men as well, not restricting and not making it extremely exclusive. And that's where I thought Tali would be perfect to come in and talk about. I know you did some research in the group as well and that post blew up Mm. (laughs) but i'd like to hear your perspective on what shifted in the jewish community i want to see if any of this has affected, I know Midhag plays a big role in halacha, I'd like to hear Rabbi Scott's perspective, if any changes and communal norms that have changed throughout the last 10, 15, 20 years, if that affects halacha in any way going into the future.
2: Well, I'm not really sure what specifically you're asking me in terms of trends. I mean, first of all, there's no question that the issue of kolisha is one that seems to cause a great deal of reactivity, specifically in the creative and talented women that I researched in the Koalisha group. And so, obviously, there is a lot about Koalisha which really touches the experience of women. And I think that we need to be able to look at the ways in which women are affected, if that's the question that you're asking me. So clearly, there is going to be a group of women, or you can call it a certain cut of women who are very, very happy and satisfied to create. Women only spaces in which to be creative, in which to sing and to dance, to upload videos, and to be able to express that part of themselves. And when girls and women are given the opportunity to do that, I think that that's an amazing and wonderful thing. But I also think that we need to be able to talk about the idea of feeling limited or inhibited, not only in creativity, but also even in Jewish expression. I have read and have experienced myself the feeling of not being able to sing out loud or not being able to daven too loudly because of the idea that a woman's voice can arouse some sort of sexual thought or feeling. Listeners of our Intimate Judaism podcast know that we often talk about the idea of sexuality and that we very much in Judaism value the idea that sexuality is reserved or sanctified for a married couple in the context of marriage. And so going with that, our sources, and to a great extent, the rabbis in the Talmud, caution i mean beginning with the tanakh and going on to the to the talmud and the other halachic sources will caution men in particular to avoid erva or to avoid any sort of stimuli that could arouse their sexual thoughts or feelings because sexuality is so limited to a very specific Type of relationship. And so amongst the possibilities that we've spoken about on our show, about things that could arouse a man, you know, there's a great spectrum. Even a woman's little finger could be considered erva if it's looked at in a sexual way. So there's one issue of woman's voice as being sexualized. And we need to be able to discuss what is the effect of a woman or of a, of a girl who is made to feel that her voice is some sort of quote-unquote weapon or some sort of tool that could arouse man, and to what extent does it remain her responsibility to avoid the arousal of man. And I think Rabbi Scott mentioned this, that this is really on the man. To what extent is Kolbe Isha Erva a suggestion that a woman's voice could be a source of arousal for a man and therefore a man should avoid a situation. I mean, context is very important. Like I said before, not in all contexts is a woman's voice going to be considered something arousing. Obviously, when women and when Hana davened for a child, or when we have the shirat devora, or the shirat hayam, these were not sexual connotations. But Yet again, we have in Shir Shirim Hashmini et kolech hi kolech arei v'marech nave The voice of a woman could be considered to be desirable. So and that's actually lot... one of
1: the sources for kolisha, that uh-huh. plastic itself.
2: Okay, so obviously in that context where Hashem and B'nai Yisrael, but in that context of a man and a woman and attraction and desire and love, a woman's voice, just like a lot of other parts of her, just like... Parts of the man as well are kind of looked at as how they are arousing, but when you're davening in shul or when you're singing's mirrored at the table, that's not the context. That's not the expectation. And so I think that we need to be aware of to what extent women have, because of kolicha, experienced episodes of feeling shamed. By their voices. I would even go so far as to say spiritual abuse for some women who do not feel that they can worship God in the same way as a man can because their voices are silenced.
1: So I really feel for those women who felt silenced and who feel silenced in that way. And it's, it's not good. It's not right. In terms of modern psa I want to make sure that I believe the 3DH is normative. And what the Shridi A says in the Chuva, which I mentioned before, where he argues that it is permissible for kids and youth groups to sing together. He was coming, of course, in a society where that wasn't the norm, and he was suddenly surprised to hear that was being done. He also says in a different chuva that women singing in chul is not a problem, also for the same reasons that he says in the other chuva. He mentions it very, very briefly in an earlier chuva in Archaim. And I think it has to be emphasized that although some families or communities might feel both men and women comfortable with this idea that women shouldn't sing out loud. And if that makes women comfortable, it might that makes them uncomfortable, it's not for me to tell them to stop their practice. But at least in what in Israel we'd call the Dati Lumi communities in the United States, perhaps the modern Orthodox communities, where women will feel silenced in that way, I think it's important that we emphasize that the Psach Halakha is not like that. That the Psach Halakha, the Sridi Esh, and others who've come in his wake, is that women should feel free to sing at the Shabbos table, they should feel free to sing in davening, and the two basic reasons why this is not a problem are, as you said, it's not sensual, it's not, these are Shire kodesh, this is davening, this is not song designed to elicit lust. And second of all, because of the idea that trekali lo mishdama, two voices together, isn't considered a voice at all. So because of that, we should definitely use that as the normative approach in order to allow more women to feel emboldened, to feel they're part of the community. The last thing we need in 2019 is for women to feel pushed away more than they already are. We have to do whatever possible in order to make them feel closer, to give them the opportunities that are afforded by the halakha. There's some things halakha doesn't allow. When we have a reason in halakha, which is absolutely supported by the post scheme, that we can allow them to do it, I think if the emphasize that that is the normative halacha.
0: Thank you. Going forward, maybe that's great. And the more people hear this, I hope this is implemented. However, there's so many communities today that this is not the norm at all. And so many women have been affected negatively in this way. Even women who aren't necessarily so creative or have a passion to become a singer, just feeling like they can't sing at the Shabbos table or to sing after they light their Hanukkah candles if their brothers-in-law around or father-in-law, et cetera.
2: That's really so, hard. And I really feel for those women. And um, I think that what's really important is that we acknowledge and recognize that when halakha is used to in a way that oppresses women or suppresses them, I'm not really sure we're doing any favors. I mean, from the kolisha group, there were many women who came out and said that they stopped being religious because of kolisha, or they stopped being as religious, or they felt shamed. I was once at a Shabbat table where we all went to sing Shir HaMalot, and the woman next to me was singing Shir HaMalot out loud, and the Rabbitson, who was sitting at the head of the table, put her hand on her and said, Dear, lower your voice. We don't sing out loud. We save our voices for our husbands. And this woman was so embarrassed. And I was, it was so awkward. I was just like, I just wanted the earth to swallow me. I felt so ashamed for her. And I do think that we need to acknowledge that for many women who grew up this way and who don't see it as oppressive, that's great for them. But we have to also acknowledge that there are women who do feel held back and oppressed by it. Another conversation that came up on the list by women who are totally fine with keeping Colisha the way. That the halacha is intended, I guess, to be. I'm not so sure, but they would say, Well, why is it so important for you that men hear you? as though women specifically want men to hear them. But it's not really about wanting men to hear you. For many of the women on the group, they spoke about how limited they are professionally because of Koalisha, where other men can get jobs all the time, singing at weddings, at bar mitzvahs, they can't do that. And so it is limiting professionally, and I think it can be limiting on a creative level. As Shoshana keats Jaskell pointed out, and she, for those who don't know, is one of the leaders of Chochmat Nashim, and she pointed out that in Beit Shemesh, for example, there cannot be a public concert of women singing. The only people that they will bring to sing are men. When there are choirs, there are boys' choirs, there are never girls' choirs, and so there are going to be limited opportunities to girls and to women.
0: Absolutely. That has affected me as well. And for me, just taking this one step forward, I've met so many women who have returned to Judaism or are Balei Chuva, who, who have told me that when they became observant, they learned about Kolisha. And they just stop singing cold turkey. And that rabbis, in some cases, have told them that their whole tafket in life, their purpose in life, is to be quiet, that the greater the voice, the greater the merit. That's a a very sad
1: statement, I'm sorry to say. Thank you, When you say that somebody's entire purpose in life is to shut up, we have a serious, serious problem on our hands. That is not Torah. That is garbage. Excuse me.
0: (laughs) Thanks for clearing that up. I I, I hope—I'm sorry it needs to be
1: said. It's mind-boggling. This is not the Judaism which I hope to represent. It's not the Judaism I practice. It's not the Judaism I know at all. I know living in Ramat Bechemesh here in Israel that there is some some crazy stuff going on, and I'm not surprised that someone would say that, but it doesn't change the fact that— that I'm going to have to have my blood pressure taken just hearing it you know, again, despite use, the fact that I know you, when it comes out. This
2: is a perfect example of using the halacha ke'ilu, not, not exactly, but but using the sources to suppress and oppress the voice of women, the faces of women, the knowledge of women. I mean, that's crazy.
1: And on that same line, let's remember that the original source that I cited, the Gemara and Brachot, Dafkaftal, da when it mentions Tali quoted it a moment ago in the same in the same section, it says that a woman's little finger is also can be erava. That's not talking about a woman's responsibility at all. That's talking about men objectifying women. It says it specifically. It says if a man looks at a woman in order to gain pleasure, it doesn't matter what part of her body he looks at. No matter what, it's not okay. And that itself represents an objectification, and that's what's being rejected in that particular sentence. Objectifying a woman, looking at her specifically for the sake of the man getting pleasure, no matter what he's looking at, it doesn't matter. It's completely inadmissible. It's unacceptable. And that has to be mentioned. People have to realize where this is coming from. Yes, there are certain prohibitions. Certainly the Gemara's simple understanding is that you can't listen to a woman, and specifically it means your wife, by the way, your wife singing while you say, But it's been extended by some people into a blanket suppression, which is not okay. It takes it away from the letter and the spirit of what the halacha was meant to be.
0: So I'd like to derail here a little bit. I know the topic of women's faces and women in the Jewish community is extremely hot right now. And women's voices are affected not just in singing, but also in speaking engagements. And on this podcast, we also talk and interview women who who are speakers, that's part of their entertainment or their career. So there are women who are not able to get speaking engagements because they're women for mixed audiences. And if we could clear anything up, is there any possibility or is this ever going to change that it is okay, it is kosher to have a woman speak for public mixed audiences? Look,
2: if you wouldn't have had a woman teaching mixed audiences, then we wouldn't have the Torah of Nahama Leibowitz, and that would really be sad. In, in In our communities, when I talk about the modern Orthodox communities, we have women who come and speak to mixed audiences. So I don't think it's so relevant from where I sit. But if that's what's happening in, I guess you would call it the mainstream Orthodox world... In America, or maybe even in Ramat Pichemesh, I don't know. I don't I don't get it. I really don't. I think that the idea of not having women speak, because they're women is just another way to use your power to oppress women, and you're only hurting yourself.
1: While I agree with your general point, and I definitely think that there's no reason to prohibit it, I don't necessarily think that people doing it are doing it consciously to oppress women. I think it's, they're objectifying women, perhaps unconsciously. It's certainly not okay. To me, part of the issue is we have to look at history. And I don't mean that history should be a major factor in halacha, but it is important to understand that in a society where men and women Are completely separate I don't know which society this is but I can imagine the time of the Rambam was much like that it sounds like it where men and women simply don't interact in that context if a woman gets up and speaks in public before men that might be societally provocative because it's not the sort of thing that's being done and in that society post who are living there would have to deal with how to handle it in that sort of context in the modern world And I include the Haredi world in the modern world, at least the vast majority of the Haredi world in the modern world, where men and women work together side by side, where in every context in which they interact, there is equality of the sexes, at least in principle, if not in practice. And then suddenly they come to a lecture and they just listen to a business lecture on their recent business trip where a woman got up and spoke and no one thought about it. And now a woman wants to teach Torah which is certainly, if anything, less provocative than whatever they heard on their business trip, and now they can't do it, that's a big problem. And I don't think halacha means that. For those people who somehow want to prohibit women speaking in public, I think it probably comes from a good place, this idea of sneut, But I believe that taking any value in the Torah and raising it above every other value is essentially a form of idolatry. It's I'm a not form of so avodazara. sure
2: that it comes from a good place, from tzniyut. I think it comes from a place of fear and anxiety and fear of losing your edge as being in control.
1: It could be. I don't know. It might be a fear of not being from enough. There are all sorts of of ways of analyzing it. But whatever it is, ultimately, we agree that Putting one value ahead of other values is not okay. And I just said it's about Azara. And to me, making Tznewt the only value, putting it ahead of women's learning, putting it again against women's empowerment, where halacha should by all rights allow it, like in a case such as women speaking in a public audience in the modern world where that's not provocative at all, to me that's not a good thing, not okay. In terms of what's going to happen in the future, I don't know if people are going to change, but change happens slowly. Sometimes it's not fair to say. Sometimes we just hope that it will change... uh, into some of those communities that don't allow it now. I don't know what to do about it though.
0: Right. And now that you brought up Tzniyut, there's so much, and I think there's also so little on the topic. Could we just address that on what the norms are today? And because with singing, for example, there are music videos today. I participate in that. Then there's dancing. Everything in Judaism for women is dumped on to tz- Tzniyut somehow. So it's this huge bubble that needs to be burst? And if it could just be simplified a little bit more? Well, Francisca, I, can...
1: I don't I, I don't want to make it difficult for you. I'm not sure I can do that. It is a complicated topic. There are certain elements of to looking at the modern post scheme. I mean, people like the Nebrua, the Hashulchan, modern in the sense of the past couple hundred years, who talk about certain elements which are absolute and are not changed based on the society, and others are entirely based on the society. One example is, for example how low a skirt should go. The Mishibura says, if I recall, I don't have it in front of me, but I believe he says, up to the knee, he said, that is something which doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether mini skirts are okay in your society. You just can't do it because that's an absolute line. However, once you get beyond that, it depends on the society, how far down it has to go beyond the knee. That's simply an example. So it's a really complicated topic. There's a big combination between what is societal and what is rabbinic law that doesn't change. So it, it's, it's pretty complicated. But
0: I actually wanted to talk more about the idea of tsniut, not necessarily the Yeah, I, I, I'm
2: still, I'm not going to be comfortable talking about hemlines. Um,
1: <laughs> well, that wasn't my goal. I'm just giving yeah. an example over here.
2: I think that when you talk about the idea of tsniut, I mean, I like to talk about... Um, personal dignity. And I also think that when you're not being tsanua, you know it. And when you are being tsanua, you know it. And a lot is about what you give off and what your intention is. And it's also about the beholder. If somebody who's watching doesn't feel that it's modest, they should stop watching and they shouldn't look.
1: I think that's true. I think a lot more emphasis has to be placed on not the person being Tanua so much as the people around them, their reaction to it. I mean, obviously, there's some responsibility of each one of us to act in a dignified manner, but there's also responsibility of the people who are not the one dressing or singing or whatever to, if they don't like it, don't look, or if it's their problem, or or, learn, or perhaps even better than that, learn how to treat people with dignity instead of objectifying them.
2: And there's so much sexualization in this. We're talking about creativity. We're talking about art. We're talking about drama and song and dance, some of which is used um, in a religious way and some of it which is just used in a recreational way. But unless it's specifically being used for the purpose of alluring a man, I don't think that we can attribute anything sexual to it. And if you are going to attribute something sexual to it, then remove yourself from it if you have a problem with it. I mean, you can attribute something sexual to high heels, to feet. I mean, I'm a sex therapist. I hear about all sorts of things that people find sexually alluring. Deal with it. That doesn't mean that nobody should wear high heels now. For different reasons, you might not want to. They're hard to walk in.
0: (laughs) It's just so interesting how this has affected women and the psyche of women.
2: It's not, it's interesting is a good word, but actually it's quite, it can be quite disturbing and sad because it inhibits women and it inhibits their freedom and their creativity because they're so sexualized in their creativity. And by the way, how people dress is also a matter of creativity. And when you're told that you can't wear red and you can't wear this and you can't wear that, that's also an inhibition.
1: And certainly I agree with Tali when she says that this is a case of inhibiting people and perhaps even controlling them, because once, as you said before, Francisca, that the whole goal of a woman, he said, your goal, your job in life, whatever it is, is to be silent. So often we see, we see in some of the schools here, they treat Sniyut like the entire role of a woman in life is to be Tzhanuah which means your entire job is to make sure you're covered up and to inhibit yourself. That is certainly far, far from what I understand the halacha to be.
0: I'm just curious to see what's going to happen. And there, I came from a much more open-minded community, a of community, so I felt like I was overstepping less boundaries in a way that other women I know are from more restrictive communities. And they knowingly, they're just opening up the boundaries. They're they are widening their the spectrum of what they grew up knowing is allowed. And some people throw it out the window and don't care. And they perform for mixed audiences live and they say, it's not on me. It's definitely affecting the Jewish community and it's definitely becoming a new norm. It's less stigmatized, definitely stigmatized, but it's much less. And it's just really fascinating to see how things are progressing and how many more women are joining this movement.
2: Yeah, that is really interesting. Halakha is halakha, and I'm not going to comment on that. But what would have once been considered immodest is not necessarily considered to be immodest when in society per se It's not considered a big deal. It would be like everyone wears a bathing suit at the beach, right? But if you walked in the supermarket, you're going to kind of stand out if you're wearing a bathing suit. So there is a certain idea around what you're used to seeing. And I'm sure that in the times, like Rabbi Scott was saying in the times of the Rambam, women definitely had a different role and women's voices were heard far less or women remained in women's only spaces in a way that doesn't happen today. And so women's voices really are are much less sexualized and they are more normative and men can kind of hear them without having any problems.
1: And I want to refer back to that article by Rav Moshe Lechistin. He's the Rosh Yeshiva at, at the Gush, Har Zion. And the article again is called Koli Shah, Woman's Voice. And Rav Lichtenstein's approach is very much to analyze all the sources, but he points out that contemporary psaq, contemporary halachic decision making, has to take the society into account. You can't change the halacha but he demonstrates that there are different strains and different trains of thought within the general approach towards kolisha. One of them, he quotes the divrei Rehefetz as saying, and I'm quoting it in English, there is no issue so long as he does not intend to derive pleasure from her voice. And even though, Rav Lichtenstein says, this has largely been the minority opinion throughout all of history. It's not a rejected opinion. This is not an opinion akin to Beit Shammai, which is no longer admissible. This is an opinion which exists, and given societal norms that change, he says, should be understood as a real possibility, whatever exactly a given post-sacral rabbi means by anything that doesn't that he doesn't derive uh, sexual pleasure from. Obviously, that itself it has to be interpreted. And Rav Lichtenstein points out that this is not a matter of the concept of et la asot, which means we can violate halacha because of a larger problem. He said, this is not that at all. This is more akin to shat ha'chak, which means in a situation of pressure, in a situation where things have changed and there's a need for it. When people are, as you say, leaving religion, or at least downplaying their observance because they're so turned off by this concept of Koalisha, that certainly in my mind would qualify for shat ha'chak. And... When there is room to find one of the more lenient approaches, I think that it's important and incumbent upon us to try and find these lenient approaches. And again, I'm sorry I keep quoting his article. It's, It's really comprehensive and very good. It's worth looking at that article to see how that actually would apply in halacha and some of the approaches that he is advocating. So... In modern times, I'm not a postache, I'm not someone who can say what should be done, what a person, man or woman, should do about kolisha, but I certainly am comfortable quoting Rev. Lichtenstein as saying that we can do more than is usually allowed or usually assumed, especially if it's causing people to be turned off and societal norms have changed. There is room within halacha, within the classic postgame, to make greater allowances. Not everything, but more than perhaps most people assume.
2: And I also want to say one thing about you. what you were saying about the trend of women who have decided that they're going to perform to mixed audiences. I really don't think it's their issue. I mean, I think that men who don't go to mixed performances won't go and shouldn't go, but it shouldn't be on them to have to filter their voices for the purpose of protecting men. Men should protect themselves. I... Put quotation marks around the word protect. Mm
0: -hmm. Right. But that does get complicated with men who don't know about Colisha and them being there and not having the choice.
1: Yeah. It's complicated.
0: Uh, Yeah. Any closing remarks that we can wrap this episode up? Well, clearly, this is
2: a very emotional topic. You know, I even remember the first time I was invited, I went to a regular high school with. All sorts, because there was only one school in my community. And there were Young Israel and Modern Orthodox and also Yeshivish.
1: A regular Jewish high school.
2: A regular Jewish, yeah, I meant Jewish high school. And I remember um, I was invited by a friend who lived in the Yeshiva and Tells for Shabbat. And that was the first time that I was at a Shabbos table and none of the women were singing any zmirot, And I really remember the feeling of sitting there and not being allowed or able to sing. It didn't, it didn't feel good. And I know that there are women who are just used to that. They've never sung at the table or only got to sing if there was no company. It is inhibiting. I feel it is inhibiting. I felt it even growing up. If there would be a Kumsitz and I would take out my guitar and they're just certain situations where I wouldn't sing because there were guys around who were, you know, from her and I knew that I shouldn't sing in front of them. And that was on me. And I never liked that. That was always really hard. And I think that many, many women share that feeling.
1: I think that an overemphasis on kolisha can lead people to over-sexualization. That doesn't mean we can ignore the halacha. Whatever the halacha says, and that has to be determined by a person's authority, but when a person looks at the sources and sees what it is, to extend it beyond what is necessary, leads to objectification. It leads towards over-sexualization. I think that's very unhelpful. So I'm the rabbi here. I certainly advocate keeping halakha. I think that's the way that people should act. And I think that we should also make sure that we don't turn halakha into a cudgel with which to beat people down. It makes sure that we use it in the way which brings people close to Torah while at the same time following its dictates.
2: It's music, it's art, it's not sex. And we have to be able to make that distinction.
0: I agree. It gets me emotional mm-hmm. because this is the topic of my life, of my professional career. And it's, well, a, and it's we, a painful, it's yeah. an oxymoron almost. Yeah. Well, we wish <laughs> you a,
2: a lot of Hatzlacha in your work.
0: Thank you.
1: Thank you, you for having us on. You.
0: Yeah. Thank you for having us. This was such an honor. I hope this is helpful to many out there. On behalf of The Francisco Show, I'd like to thank Tali Rosamount and Rabbi Scott for joining us on this episode. Definitely check them out. Their podcast is called Intimate Judaism. If you'd like to support this podcast, please go on to iTunes and leave us a review there, even if you do listen to this show on an Android or computer. If you have been enjoying this show, please make sure to subscribe share this podcast make sure to go back and listen to the episodes from the beginning we have some amazing jewish female artists who have been featured on the show so thank you for listening and see you next time